Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the ride. I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And Julie, today we're going to start talking about behavior. We have a whole series to do here about horse behavior. And our first in the lineup of topics is flight behavior and investigative behavior. So give me the scenario of that. What are we talking about here? Where would you see these behaviors with your horse? Well, I think everybody that's had horses at some point in time has, has probably witnessed some spooking, some flight behavior. Um, so f- flight is a category of instinctive behaviors of horses, and it's one of the most defining categories of behavior of the horse because they're really flight first and foremost flight animals. Um, they're prey animals and they're highly sensitive animals and their and their strongest defense mechanism is running away from danger. Um, so flight is a very, very strong category of instinctive behaviors. There's lots of categories of instinctive behaviors of horses. In fact there's seven of them. And another category in addition to flight is known as investigative behavior. And investigative behavior is also very instinctive in the horse, and it's their curiosity. And so the interesting thing about these two behaviors, or these two sets of behaviors, is that they're diametrically opposed. So they're really opposite behaviors. So a horse cannot be in flight behavior and investigative behavior at the same time. One rules the other one out. So... um So one of the really important keys to eliminating spooky-type behavior in your horse is to encourage the investigative behavior of the horse or encourage his curiosity. Okay, so let's get back, just dissect that flight a little bit first. I love what you said, that they're they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. So with flight, the horse is running away from something. Their, their movement is away to, to spook and to, to flee away. And investigative, you want them to move forward towards something. So is that kind of the, the simple answer of why they can't happen at the same time because they're either going away or to something? Well, yeah. And so flight, uh, flight is a reactive response. And so when a horse is motivated to flight, he's generally going to spin and bolt and um, have a lot of fear. It's it's a reaction. There's no thinking involved in it. Um, In fact, the the horse that's motivated to flight, um, research shows that generally they'll run anywhere from an eighth to a quarter of a mile before they even think about stopping and considering what they're running from. So once flight is triggered... It's a very reactive and instinctive response. There's not much thinking going on. Investigative behavior only occurs after the horse has ruled out flight or after the horse has decided flight's not necessary. And, yeah, he's going to show forward interest. He's going to want to approach the thing um, and instead of run away from it. Uh, he wants to look at it, smell it, listen to it, touch it, maybe even lick it and taste it. Um, so he wants to investigate it um, with all of his senses. So they're, for that reason, they're, they're absolutely opposed to each other. Okay, so give me the scenario, a common scenario you can think of where 
the spook would be evident, but then you could more easily convert the horse into that investigative behavior. Well, generally, okay, so let's just say, let's say I'm going to ride my horse in the arena today, and it's an arena I've ridden in a lot, but last night somebody came in and hung up a new banner in there. They're getting ready for a horse show or something, so they hung up a banner, and and um, so I head into the arena today, and um, I walk right in. My horse is sort of nonplussed. All of a sudden, he turns around and sees that banner in a place where it wasn't yesterday, and it takes him totally by surprise. And, and by the way, horses have a very strong sense of order, and so that's a really great scenario because when something, when this, when the order changes in a known location to a horse, that can really freak them out because something that wasn't there yesterday is suddenly there today. They have a hard time understanding that, and and so a flighty horse or a horse that has a lot of fear is going to probably react negatively to that. So so I so my horse turned around. All of a sudden, he caught glimpse of this banner, and it startled him. And his first reaction is to wheel around and leave. Now, in that instance, that's when things can go real bad real fast because the sooner you can get a horse out of flight the easier it's going to be. The longer he's in flight mode, um, the harder it is to get him out of it. So at the, at the very instant my horse wheels around and tries to leave, I want to stop that response by turning him back towards the thing. And so my first goal when a horse spooks and wants to flee, my first goal is to rule out flight. I, I cannot even begin to think about converting him to investigative behavior until I've absolutely ruled out flight in his mind. And to do that, I just keep turning him towards whatever he's afraid of. As long as he's facing it, um, he, he won't be able to flee. So he's only going to flee by Lee. He's not going to run towards the thing in flight. He's right. going to want to try to run away from it. Um, so just turning it back towards him and stopping him until he gives up on flight. At the moment he gives up on flight, his only choice is then to investigate what's going on around him. And so that's the critical moment at which a horse converts from flight behavior to investigative behavior. And what you do in that moment is going to make the, all the difference in whether he goes back to flight or stays in investigative behavior. Okay. So what are the common mistakes people can make not realizing that they are giving in to the horse's behavior? Well, one would be to uh, not recognize the horse's forward interest. So at that moment that he's converting from flight to investigative behavior, he's going to turn and look at the thing, and he's going to perk both his ears towards it. And if at that moment I'm still criticizing him for trying to leave and I'm still turning him or stopping Mm -hmm. him or yelling at him or, or something like that, I could easily... Um, override his curiosity and make him afraid again okay so at the moment he um, so first of all before I get him into into investigative behavior I have to rule out flight but I also need him to calm down and start thinking so I want to start petting him I want to start taking deep breaths I want to talk nicely to him and in a confident way to him so that he starts getting a sense of normalcy from me. Everything's okay. I want to make sure I'm touching his neck and stroking him so he knows I'm right there for him. And, 
you know, we have to remember that when we're riding the horse and you're up on his back, you you do nothing for his bravery up there. He can't see mm-hmm. you. He feels like he's he's in front. Uh, he's between you and the mm-hmm. danger. Whereas when you're on the ground, people are like, well, you know, my, he wasn't afraid of it when I was on the ground. Well, that's because you're on the ground and he can see you and you're a, and you're a buffer between that thing and him. Um, but up on his back, you you don't provide that buffer. So I want to touch him on the neck, stroke him on the neck, talk to him with my words so he knows I'm there, I'm taking care of everything. And then at that moment, and then I want to actually physically take some really deep breaths myself, <sighs> kind of sigh so I can encourage a deep breath from him. If he relaxes a little bit, he's going to start thinking. And as soon as he starts thinking, he's going to show forward interest in that thing. And at the moment he shows forward interest, I really want to start praising him. I want to loosen the reins. I want to give him encouragement so that he knows that's the right thing that he should be doing. And there's something in there I think is interesting, too. You said that you have to not criticize him for looking. But do you think a lot of people, when a horse spooks, they kind of get mad at him or punish him for that instead of just turning him and and working through the the instinct of it well absolutely they punish um sometimes intentionally sometimes unintentionally um but as soon as you grab the reins you're punishing the horse essentially and um and a lot of times fear is is a very complicated emotion and a lot of times fear makes us angry um and so uh we get quick we get harsh um so even if you the other thing is once once the person becomes afraid they're afraid to let go of the reins so now they're holding an excessively tight hold on the reins and at that moment that horse is converting to investigative behavior if he puts his ears up and then uh, sort of pokes his nose out towards something and you're holding on harshly to the reins, and and that causes more pressure on his mouth. That feels like criticism to mm-hmm. him, even though you didn't mean it as criticism. Mm-hmm. You you're showing the horse you didn't trust him. You're showing the horse that you're mad or angry or upset or afraid. Uh, people convey fear through the reins all the time. Well, if if my horse is afraid of that thing, and then I'm conveying fear to him through the reins. Um, that's not going to make mm-hmm. him braver. That's going to make him more afraid. Mm-hmm. And then you add to that the the uh, extra pressure on his mouth, which is uncomfortable, maybe painful to him. All of that adds to his fear, not not take away. And so, at that very moment, my horse has I've ruled out him fleeing, or or I've ruled out flight. I have to also let him have the reins and show him that I trust him to stay there. And then he'll convert to investigative behavior. And you actually stop the horse for a while and allow him to kind of suck towards yes. what he's interested so in? I want to really convert him to investigative behavior. That's not me forcing him to go up there. That's him wanting to go up there and check it out. So I want to encourage that desire in him. Um, but I'll never push it. So... Once my horse is, is, is spooked, has spooked at something and is trying to leave, um, at that moment, I'm just going to stop and make him face it. I'm not going to make him approach it. Um, he's afraid of it, and he's trying to leave before we even think about approaching it. I can't 
I can't force investigative behavior on the on the horse. I can rule out flight behavior by riding him through it, by not letting him turn left, not letting him turn right, and not backing up. All of those things rule out flight. But his conversion to investigative behavior, he has to do that himself. I can't mm-hmm. force him into it. I can just set the stage for it. So by ruling out flight, that's the first thing I do to set the stage. And then I just stop, and I take a deep breath. I relax the reins, and I try to get my horse to take a deep breath and relax and start thinking. At that point, because I'm not forcing him up on that thing, but because I've ruled out leaving, his his next best choice is to start investigating that thing. And then it's up to me to recognize his investigative behavior and to encourage it and applaud it. Um, and then as I feel him start, as soon as he shows any forward interest at all, I'm going to start praising him and petting him. And then I might ask him to take one step closer. But then I'll ask him to stop right away because I don't want to push him up there too fast. And probably a lot of people have experienced this with their horse where um, he's wavering between flight and investigative mm-hmm. behavior. So he's he's looking at it and he's curiously drawn towards it, but he's still tense and tight <laughs> as a drum. And if that little if that let's say it's a flag or a banner or something, if that if that it flag moves. or banner moves at all, <laughs> he wants to spook, but then he wants to look at it. And so that horse that's teeter tottering on the verge of between flight and investigative. We want to continue. I don't want to get mad at him. I don't want to get harsh at him at this moment because that's going to push him on the flight side. Uh, But I really want to encourage and and applaud and praise uh, that forward interest or that investigative behavior. So uh, at some point when he's starting to show interest in that thing, I'll uh, I'll say, okay, uh, now I would like you to take one step towards it. So I'll, I'll reach forward. I'll close my legs on him. I'll cluck, cluck. And I'll ask him to just take one or two steps, and then I'll stop him again, and I'll pet him, and I'll praise him. And now, by stopping him, he'll start getting, two things will happen. One is, I'm giving him time to get used to this thing, and I'm giving him time to look at it, to listen to it, to smell it, um, to get more comfortable with it. And you, you'll feel him become increasingly drawn to that thing, but I still hold him back because... In holding him back a little bit, I mean, I'll let him take one or two steps, but then I'll stop him again. A slow approach is really helpful, number one. And number two, once he is drawn to that thing, once he has started his investigative behavior, if I hold him back a little bit, that that actually encourages the investigative behavior. I always use the example of... Uh, if I if I was getting ready to go to town and leave my teenage son at home alone, if I said to him right before I left, now, Hunter, whatever you do, don't look in that closet. Um, and then I get in my car and leave. First thing he's going to do is go look in the closet. So by holding him back a little bit once the investigative behavior has begun, that just tempts him a little bit more. That just makes him a little bit more sucked into that investigative behavior. That makes sense. And I think, you know, this is such a huge one because if people think their horse is always spooky and they don't know what to do about it or they get in a fight with them, they end up not riding or thinking that it, it's something that they can't overcome. So I think this it's a different approach than I've heard other places of switching to con- converting that to the investigative so that you have something you can do. 
And how often, so if the banner is there, will you have to do this again and again every day, or does that depend on the horse? Well, uh, first of all, you can actually, um, you can train this response into a horse. Now, let me back up and say, uh, a horse is born with his temperament, and some horses are born very high in investigative behavior and very high in bravery and low in flight. Some horses the other way around. They're very high in flight, very low in bravery, um, and very low in investigative behavior. Um, so, but there is a lot of research that indicates we can, uh, we can actually stimulate investigative behavior by uh, doing this kind of training like I was just talking about, by on a regular basis offering novel stimuli to horses. Um, so you, you put something new in their environment intentionally, and then you go through this little exercise, and you could do it from the ground or you could do it from the saddle, but you go through that exercise just as I described it, and you um, start making a game out of it, and you start praising and rewarding the horse's investigative behavior, pretty soon it becomes a game to the horse, and he gets so much good feeling from the investigative side of it. He feels brave. He gets lots of praise. That thing doesn't hurt him. Horses don't like to be afraid. Horses don't like fear. Um, So if we teach them the way out of it, they actually like it. And so you can take a horse that's high on flight and low on investigative behavior, and you can change that by playing this game a lot with him. Um, once you've done this a lot, you've converted, you've ruled out flight and you've converted them to investigative behavior, you'll find it happening faster and faster in, in, the, in the situation when, when you, let's say you're out on a totally, in a totally new area and something spooks your horse, you'll still go through this exercise, but you'll convert him very fast. So uh, once you, you've done this a little bit with a horse, it sort of becomes more in, increasingly habitual mm-hmm. to the horse. And we've had that. I was just thinking of like Dooley when we get out the big reflectors at a photo shoot or something. Like he doesn't spook to. He's just like, hey, what is that? And so, you know, if a horse is used to this kind of training, then are they just at some point just like wanting to know what everything is because yeah, they kind of walk get, right up to if it. If they get lots of praise when they act like that, when they act brave, and when they investigate, so. You all, you never really, uh, I shouldn't say never, but you, you want to be careful not to staunch bravery and not to staunch investigative behavior because it is the opposite of flight. And so with young horses, we want to encourage their bravery. And even if you have a horse, a, a mature horse, it's just a big chicken, um, play these games from the ground and, and, and really praise them big for his bravery and he'll be he'll be more apt to go back there that sounds good julie thanks very much you're welcome i'm heidi malacco i am here today with desiree johnson the owner and designer of smooth stride riding jeans and desiree you have a pretty interesting story being a rider of why you wanted to create the perfect jeans for people to ride in and why there was such a need for something that felt good in the saddle tell me a little bit about how you got started well hello heidi thank you for calling yes i do um This all started uh, a few years before we bought the company. Um, I was uh, very lucky to have been able to have my own stable 
Um, right. I had three stalls and I had a few event horses in training and my own ring and I was teaching and because I'm an event rider, okay. I was doing a lot, of, uh, a lot of setting up jumps and grooming the ring and, you know, the PP and D, the poop pick up and drag and uh, all, all the manual labor that goes along with uh, four acres of mowing and uh, gardening and all of that, being a wife and the shopping. And, and I was in my tack room one day and uh, the, I was taking my breeches and boots off yet once again. Right. And I thought to myself, uh, there's got to be a jean out there. I need some blue jeans that I can also ride in. Right. Because I do so much teaching. I jump up on a horse for 10 minutes. Then I jump down, and I have to set up jumps, and the, the, you know, the britches just get, get thrashed. They're too nice to work in, I mean, to really, really work in. So I went to my local ranching home. Now, remember, I'm an English rider, so I went right. to a, a store, specialty in Western, 20 different styles of Western blue jeans. And I asked the lady, I told her, I said, I want your top-of-the-line Western riding jean. not going to say the name of it because I don't want to smash anything. Sure, sure. But she took me to the top of the line, and I looked at them, and I looked at the seat area, and I saw that lump, the, your best riding jean. She said, yes. And I said, well, these aren't riding jeans. And she looked at me, she kind of blinked, and I said, there's this lump in the crotch seat area, and that's the whole reason why I'm here is because I can't ride country western dancing jeans i need a riding jean and she said well this is this is it and so i you know i went home and i told eric i said you know what i'm going to start my own business it's going to be called designed by desiree and i told him my story and what i did is i went online and at that time i didn't find anything like what it was that i wanted but i did find a pattern a buckaroo pattern so i ended up to make a, a long story story made three pairs of these little sweatpants that were you know, one seamless inside, right up the front and the back, and they were basically little sweatpants with little knee pads. And I wore those little jeans. I, wore, I made a corduroy pair of winter and a lightweight jean material for summer. I wore them out. <laughs> Two years or so, wore them holes, holes. And what I loved about them is they were short, you know, right up to the ankle. I could stick them in my English boots. And then I would take my boots off, and I could work in these little jeans, pants, all day long. And I could go grocery shopping, and I could get down in the dirt and garden and do the mowing and move my jumps. So finally they, they wore out, and it was around Thanksgiving time. And uh, I said to Eric, I said, there's got to be somebody who has thought of this idea. I can't be the only one. So I sat down with Mimosa at the holiday time, and I found smooth stride riding jean company and the mission statement and the explanation was exactly what I was looking for and they were interested in selling the company and Eric and I had a powwow and we let's do it and the thing that we were we didn't know anything about the manufacturing clothing business nothing I know it was really the learning curve was incredible the inventory that we bought that we thought we were going to be able to buy was all messed up it wasn't graded mm. properly and didn't fit anybody. So we basically started from scratch. I redesigned this incredible already existing jean that had the seamless inside and was a boot cut. And I made it, I'm, I recreated the whole, uh, basically the waist, contoured waistband. The grading is correct. The rise is correct for riders, for mature riders, not teenagers with, you know, that weigh 115 pounds. Mm -hmm. 
designed for women who have either had kids or not, but have lived with their bodies and, you know, for, for mature women. Have the curves that they are supposed to have once they have reached adulthood. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now tell me, what do you mean by the grade? Is that the way that the shape changes up around your waist? Well, for instance, when we got the inventory, I had these tiny little rises and huge legs. So the legs didn't match, so the lower part didn't match the upper part. So if you have a size 10 gene, it is graded size 10 the whole length of the gene. And that's, uh, it's a, there's a science to it. And okay. so our gene, are, you know, we hired, literally hired a specialist to grade the patterns correctly. Okay. So, yeah, there's a lot of math. You've learned a lot of terminology about this. And, and so the big thing about these that makes them for riding, what would you say are your, your top features that make them for riders, not just for wearing on the street? But you could do both. Yes, you could. The main thing is that cross lump in the seat area has been removed. Literally, they're, they're just like uh, how they build English riding breeches, only uh, they're Western boot cut. Second thing would be the rise in the back. It's hard to find a blue jean out there that calls itself a riding jean that has a, a correct um, rise. The contoured waistband, so it's just not a straight piece. It's also curved to shape to fit women's curves. And the stretch, it's a perfect amount of stretch. We have a special process that they don't bag out, so we've eliminated the bag out problem. So this jean that you buy will be the same size within eight hours or two days or three days. They don't, you just don't put them in the washing machine and they snap back and then bag out again. So if they don't fit, that probably means that you've gained a little weight. <laughs> and, and I'm imagining what this means when you're actually on a day-long trail rider. Like with you with endurance riding, I grew up riding Western. We always rode in jeans. And I remember on longer days, like the inside of your leg, it'd be a little chaff. But that's just what you had. And I think it, it's interesting to hear you say with that English or endurance perspective, everything you're thinking of has to do with, how can I wear this all day, be comfortable, and make it through the miles, right? Sure. Literally, there are some of us that we get in the saddle after 10 minutes, I was not comfortable. Right. So this, it's also for instructors, for instance, who just get on, who are teaching all day long. They need a safe place for their phone for emergencies because we have a beautiful old, you know, classic welt pocket on the top of the right side that mm -hmm. is, uh, doesn't have any closure to break or anything, and it's fits in snugly so it's not going to flop around. So even for instructors who have to get on a horse and just demonstrate something for 10 minutes and get back off again. Right, so. and feel comfortable in what you're getting down. Because I know when I have ridden English and you're in your breeches and sometimes you're like, whoosh, should I not? I, want, I don't mind riding these in the saddle, but I definitely don't want to go in public in them. So I think that's a, a great aspect too, something you can be comfortable in, but you can get on and off and still do whatever you need to do. Sure. Yeah, I I was joking in another interview I did that you could be a lawyer with a blazer in an office and then you could go straight to the barn and you wouldn't have to change your pants all day long. And thinking about the rider, not somebody that's coming from the fashion world and how to make those look good at the barn, which they look good. All the jeans can look good, but mm -hmm. how can you find something that's going to keep you comfortable in the saddle, not have that big seam on the inside right where you're trying to 
have contact and right. communicate with your horse with your leg position. Feel good no matter what you're doing. I spend so much money on equipment for our horse. And so I really feel like this is a, a very valuable piece of equipment for for riders finally. Good. Well, thank you for taking this on and figuring out something that's going to be good for a lot of riders. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Check out smoothstride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. Also, be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash podcasts for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn. 